This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. When you think of an aquarium, you don't usually think of aquatic beetles. My guest today, Dr. Jiri Hulser, however, thinks people have things all wrong. He says that beetles are much more interesting than fish. So why is a forest insect expert such a big bug lover? Join us as we learn more about keeping aquatic beetles from entomologist Dr. Jiri Hulser. We'll be right back after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Dr. Jerry Hilser, Assistant Professor of Forest Entomology at the University of Florida. Jerry, thanks for sharing your passion with us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So this is kind of a little different topic from what we normally discuss, as um, I think we, you and I talked about. We're going to talk a little bit about beetles, but before we get more into why people should even think of aquatic beetles as something for their aquariums or maybe setting up separate aquariums, I want to ask you some uh, personal questions, give our listeners a little more insight into uh, you as a uh, person, scientist, and uh, aquarium hobbyist. So Yuri, where are you from originally? Originally, the Czech Republic. It's a tiny little country in Eastern Europe, somewhere between Germany and Russia. And I am from even smaller place. I'm from a little village. There were only 40 people living there where I was when I was a kid. And only a few people, but a lot of nature. And so I grew up with lots of puddles around and small ponds and streams. And it was a heaven for me, the bug nerd. I've, I've been a bug nerd ever since I remember. I was born into it, really. I was collecting and catching and eventually killing insects and other small creatures ever since I remember. And it just happened to be my passion in even now in my employment. I happened to find employment actually in entomology. I'm in the forestry now in the forestry department or school forest resources. And uh, I'm not a forester. I'm an entomologist. So tell me about your earliest aquarium. What do you remember was your earliest aquarium? So I don't know if this was my first aquarium, but I do remember very early on stealing my mom's uh, pickling jars and putting various creatures in them, hoping that they'll survive, such as various aquatic snails and really whatever would move underwater. I've always been completely fascinated by the green world in ponds and puddles. 
this is something I cannot explain. It's just really beautiful and somehow inviting. It's like a different universe. When you grab a couple of these little creatures and throw them in the water, they start moving and they start living. They start communicating or eating one another and things like that. It's fascinating. And I remember even as a very small child, I was borrowing these pickling jars and eventually I would upgrade to aquariums or big buckets and then I would make myself big. Let's say I had a, some old bathtub, so I made that into a tank for uh, invertebrates. I had lots of aquariums. So you uh, found a soulmate who shares your interest. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met your wife and, and uh, <laughs> what she does as well? Indeed. My wife, Andrea Lucky, is also an entomologist. She studies ants. We met 10 years ago or so at an entomology conference. And she's also employed here at the University of Florida in the actual entomology department. And at the time we met, we were both keeping diving beetles. You know, not many people do that. And when you meet someone like that, who shares not only many qualities you admire in a friend, but she also shared a fondness for aquatic beetles, which was fascinating for me. Not that we got married because of that, but it helped. <laughs> so maybe uh, real briefly, what is your actual University of Florida day job? What do you do in the forestry group? So officially, I'm called a forest entomologist, which means that I'm supposed to have an answer to any bark beetle question people may have. I do mostly research, and it's mostly a basic research. I'm studying the insects that are eating our forests, but most of them are not really pests. And so I study a lot of, about their biology, their relationships with other organisms, with fungi, bacteria, trees, and ultimately people. I also do a lot of extension, which means I'm helping landowners and uh, the industry figuring out their problems with pests. And I'm also trying to involve people, such as kids or, or various hobbyists, into understanding and loving the diversity of insects in our forests. Well, that sounds pretty actually interesting. Um, I, I have seen some of the work you've done and, and some of your presentations, and it is pretty fascinating. So now let's hit the aquatic beetles, and uh, maybe maybe start by trying to get a, give a little primer for our listeners. So how many families or, or maybe species, whichever you think is easier to relate to, of aquatic beetles are there, and which would be good candidates for aquariums? Right. Uh, there are many families of beetles that have decided, evolutionarily speaking, to go back to water. As you know, insects originally evolved from crustaceans. That's millions and millions of years ago from something like a fairy shrimp that happened to then live on land for a while. And then insects exploded in diversity from that. But a whole bunch of insects either kept their larvae in water at least or both the larvae and the adults decided to abandon their terrestrial life and go back to water. And beetles have done that many times. The groups that are the most diverse or the most interesting and, and impressive and really diverse and abundant are, there are two groups really. There are the predaceous water beetles, which are the diticidae, and then there are the water scavenger beetles, which are the hydrophilidae. There are many other families of water beetles. We're going to skip them. Those are mostly smallish, not as diverse. I mean, we are still talking about insects, so you know every family has hundreds of species, but it's not really as the big two groups, the diticity and the hydrophility. So we're mostly going to be talking about those. And of those, the predaceous diving beetles and the water scavenger beetles, there are some species that are definitely candidates for being popular aquatic insects. So can you tell us a little bit about beetle anatomy and, you know, their life cycle? Right. What, the, what so, they kind of do. Yep. 
Absolutely. So beetle anatomy is very easy. Well, it's actually not that easy, I should say. People look at a beetle and you see three parts. You see the head, the thorax, and the abdomen, which typically is covered by the elytra. Now, the truth is that beetle has uh, many different parts and they're mostly hidden underneath this exoskeleton. What we are really seeing is truly the head, that's correct. Then what people think is the thorax is actually just the first part of the thorax. The, The rest is hidden. And then we see the abdomen, which truly actually is not an abdomen. These are elytra, which are the first pair of the wings that have evolved to be a cover, kind of like a shield of the beetle. So it's nothing but wings that got skeletonized, and they're covering the rest of the beetle, which is fairly soft. Now, this is the ground plan of the beetle, the basic structure. What aquatic beetles did is that they have evolved many different adaptations for living underwater. We'll probably just talk about one group, just an example, the predaceous diving beetles, the Dytisidae. They are, their closest relatives, living ones, are the ground beetles. Ground beetle is just your stereotypical beetle that runs around on the ground and, and catches other bugs. From that, they have to had to evolve many different things. First thing, swimming legs. The legs of diving beetles are not really well made for walking, but they're really superbly adapted for swimming. They have very long hairs on them that fold when the leg moves forward and the, the hairs then expand when the leg moves backwards. And so this movement forward, backward, forward, backward, and the folding and unfolding the hairs makes a wonderful swimming device. Then they also have to breathe. Now, unlike fish, all these insects that have returned back to water, they don't breathe water. They don't have gills. They all have to breathe atmospheric air. So all these beetles and their larvae have to come up to the surface to suck up some air, store it as some kind of a bubble, and they go back down underwater and do their business. So this is a very important difference between aquatic insects and fish for anyone who wants to keep them, because that really is what determines the differences in how we approach them in aquariums. They don't have gills, so they don't really care about the quality of water which is awesome for a keeper. Now, they need the air, which means that you have to sometimes provide, they obviously have to have access to the surface, and they also need to have access to at least a little piece of a dry land, because sometimes the beetles just need to dry up. Not often, once every week or so, but they should have access to dry land sometimes. What these beetles do for breathing is pretty funny. When you look at them, it's really interesting. They, predaceous diving beetles, they come up to the water surface, push their butt or their abdomen, the tip of their abdomen, through the water surface, which opens a tiny little passageway for the air between the air above water and the space underneath the beetle elytron, elytra. So essentially, they are carrying their bubble with them underneath their elytra, where insects store their wings. You know, as we we talked about how the whole rear part of the beetle body is covered by these elytra, which really is nothing but a hardened pair of the first wings. In diving beetles, they're also covering the bubble. And so the beetle comes up, pushes the old bubble out, sucks in a new bubble, and goes back down underwater. Now, the other big group of these water beetles, the hydrophilids, do it differently. They swim up to the surface of the water, and instead of turning backwards, they stick their head up because they have a specialized antony. Antony are the feelers in front of the uh, insect's head, and they've modified again, evolutionarily speaking, their antony to form kind of a siphon, like a tube for the air. So they stick one side of their head above water, and that makes a chimney for the air to go underneath their belly. 
these water scavenger beetles, again, that's the second group, of the second big group, they have a very fuzzy, smooth belly. That's These hairs there are to keep a bubble. So while diticid beetles, you don't ever see, you rarely see the bubble because it's mostly underneath the elytra. In water scavenger beetles, their whole underneath of their body is silver. It's because it keeps an air bubble among the, the hairs. And then they have many other adaptations to, so we talked about to live in underwater, that we talked about the swimming legs, we talked about how to breathe. There are many other beetles that have adapted to seeing better underwater. There are, for example, the whirligig beetles, the ones that you see swimming fast on the surface of uh, ponds and sometimes even rivers. They have four eyes. They have a pair of eyes that's looking above water and that's adapted to seeing well above water. And then they have a pair of eyes underwater so that they keep an eye on dangers from underneath. And all these insects have many, many other types of adaptations. Now, the one that you see probably the most obvious is their hydrodynamic shape. The bodies are, they look like a droplet. They're very smooth, very compact, and that makes them also very beautiful, if you ask me. Because they're not like a lot of other misshapen insects. All these aquatic beetles have to be very symmetrical and very neat looking and and very uh, hydrodynamic. And that makes them really pretty. And they're smooth, so they're often shiny. And they often have various iridescent types of coloring, too. That is pretty fascinating. I didn't realize some of that, the way they breathe. How long can they stay underwater, typically? That depends on temperature and on oxygen content underwater. So temperature. As you probably know, gases dissolve faster in warm water or even in warm air, really. And so when the temperature is high, the beetles are also faster. They metabolize faster, breathe faster. And so they need to come up every couple of minutes. If the water is cold and if the water is actually kind of near freezing, they can stay down there for a very long time. And the beetles up in the northern latitudes, they can stay down on the water all winter. So it largely depends on temperature. Now, what do they do so long underwater? How do they do that? Well, the reason is physics. The reason is that, you know, the two dominant components of air are the nitrogen and the oxygen. And so when these beetles take their bubble under their elytra and go down underwater, they're exhausting the oxygen part, but not the nitrogen part. So the percentage of nitrogen in their bubble is increasing and the percentage of oxygen is decreasing slowly. Now, when the ratio of nitrogen to oxygen is really high, the oxygen from the water starts penetrating the bubble. So the more water, more oxygen you have in the water, the less they have to have in their bubble. So in well-oxygenated water, what they do is they squeeze a little bit of a bubble out of their butt and suck out some of the oxygen from the surrounding water into their bubble. And that's how they can stay underwater for a very long time. And so when you look at your aquarium, which is, you know, this blissful green part of a puddle that you can see through a glass, during the times when the beetles have nothing to do, they're just hanging out, maybe sometimes clutching a rock or something like that, and they have a bubble suspended upwards from their abdomen. It's one, it's beautiful because there's light shining off of it and things like that. But this is what they're doing. They're essentially sucking up the oxygen from the water outside so they don't have to go anywhere. That is very interesting. That's cool. So um, how long can they live? Years. Some of the large ones have been recorded for up to four years. So they're really long-lived pets. And what would you feed them? (laughs) Oh, that's the fun part. You kind of have to know the ecology of each species. 
I think maybe we can start talking about the specific species that I would recommend everyone who's maybe thinking about it to start with. So let's talk about, for example, two predaceous diving beetles. The one that I would recommend everyone to start with is big and um, predaceous. It's called Cybister. And these are very, not very common, they're mildly common throughout the south, southeast, southwest, also the United States. They're large green and they eat whatever protein or piece of meat or whatever dead animal they can find. Uh, They're kind of slowly swimming through the water, feeling with their antennae, smelling and uh, Whenever they get a whiff of something that's edible, like a dead dead fish or a beetle or something like that, they start to get agitated and they start doing this zigzag movements in the three-dimensional space. So they swim forward. When they get out of the, the smelly area, they go back and keep searching until they zone in on that source of food. And then they go berserk and they tear it apart and they behave like crazy animals once they find their food. They're mostly eating at night. But if, if they are in the, your house aquarium for a while, they kind of lose the, their natural rhythms and they can swim around during the day very frequently. They are pretty much your house pets really at that time and you can feed them whenever you want. The advantage of these beetles is that unlike vertebrates, they really don't need to eat very much. So if you're talking about this large cybister, this large green diving beetle, if you throw a little tiny piece of meat in there, or let's say half of an earthworm uh, in the aquarium once a week, that's all. That's all they need. I would recommend giving them a little bit of a diversity of food. So sometimes uh, if you squash a fly or a spider, or if you find an earthworm, as I mentioned, or something like that, they will be grateful. But they're not very demanding. In fact, I would say feeding them a little bit less is better because they keep active. If you feed them too much, they become lazy and the water gets a little bit murkier. Uh, but really, they, I would say the less you feed them, the better for them and for you as the viewer of these insects. Hey, Yuri, let's take a short break and we'll continue our discussion with beetle expert Dr. Yuri Holzer after these messages from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Dr. Jerry Hulser, insect expert at the University of Florida. So, Yuri, uh, sorry, could you uh, go ahead and continue on with your uh, description of beetles that folks would want to keep in their aquariums? Right. So we talked about the predaceous diving beetles. They mostly eat meat, mostly dead meat, whatever rotten thing you can throw in there. Some of them are able to catch little fish maybe or, or tadpole mostly at night when these animals are kind of sleepy, uh, not really moving very much. But they're not really bad predators at all. They're slower than the fish and they don't really see very well underwater. 
their eyes are mostly adapted to the environments above water when they're flying from a puddle to puddle. They're flying, by the way, so the tank has to be covered. Absolutely, that's unquestionable. Otherwise, you'll lose them the first night. Anyway, back to how they eat. They are just mostly smelling things with their antennae, so they're not really dangerous to fish. Now, the problem is that if you keep fish together with these beetles, they the beetles will harass the fish, and sometimes maybe they can grab a nibble or something like that, and so the fish are rarely happy together in a tank with them. They are, fish don't necessarily have to die, but they're just not happy because the beetles are kind of brutish, slow bullies. Uh, now, the larvae of these beetles, that's a whole different story. The larvae are adapted to hunt at night and hunt vertebrates, often, such as small fish or tadpoles. So when you take a larva of this beetle, and that's a wholly different animal, you would never even recognize, if you didn't know that, that that worm you have in front of you is larva of this beetle. These are predators. Now, I'm going to describe what the larva of these beetles look like. As I mentioned, they look kind of wormy. They have none of that beautiful dark color or the elytra or the hydrodynamic shapes. They're kind of like worms with giant mandibles on one side and a tiny siphon on the other side, on the rear end, through which they breathe air from the surface. Now, in the day, these larvae, they're pretty much blind. They don't really see anything. So during the day, they're just, they're motionless. Once they move, they are in danger of being eaten by the nearest egret or something like that. So during the day, they barely move. Even if you poke them with your finger, they do nothing. Now, at night, the whole thing changes. They become fairly active hunters, and they kind of slowly move through the water and are sensing vibrations. So larvae of these diving beetles hunt by vibrations, or I should say search prey through vibrations. Once they sense that there is maybe a fish sleeping and breathing around, they slowly move very slowly towards the fish, and when they are fairly certain that they're close, then something amazing happens then there is an incredibly fast movement. The whole larva shoots forward and grabs the fish or the tadpole, and that poor vertebrate has no chance of escaping. It's incredible. When you're seeing this stealth predator slowly moving towards its prey, that the prey doesn't even wake up or swims away, and then flashes forward like a lightning and essentially grabs the poor victim with its huge mandibles, it's a really impressive thing to see. Now, the larvae are hard to keep, and they are hard to bring up to maturity and to pupation. They need um, they need to crawl up on, on the land and pupate in the sand. And so that's not something I would necessarily recommend to beginners because you kind of have to understand the life cycle fairly well and, and understand the cues from the larva. If you have a pond, it's easy. Sometimes you can observe it. But in an aquarium, I would recommend focusing on the adults. The larvae are much more finicky and they need to eat much more, and the adults are, are, are really the kind of pet you want. Not much work and a lot of enjoyment. We talked about food. Maybe I'll say a couple of words about the other big group, the water scavenger beetles. Yes, definitely. Okay, so the other ones are the water scavenger beetles, which are the ones that I mentioned are, have a, let's say, they have a bubble on the belly. That's the main distinguishing character. And those are not really predators. They can eat anything. They can eat anything from a you know dead fish all the way through vegetable matter. They eat algae. They eat pretty much whatever has some nutrient content. That's why they are called water scavenger beetles. Now, they are very interesting beetles. 
but they have none of the grace and calmness of the predaceous beetles. Those are kind of like a pigs of the puddle or the pond. They are frantic. They move fast. They don't swim as nice as the dytisids. They This is actually interesting. Dytisids swim with their legs synchronously. They're, in dytisids, the, the predaceous beetles, their hind legs are, are large and they swim together like, like a breaststroke. Now, in the water scavenger beetles, they're frantically moving all six legs at the same time. So they're kind of fast, but but they don't look very graceful. And they uh, make a lot of mess. They eat a lot. They poop a lot. They make a lot of mess in your aquarium. They turn over plants and rocks and they chew on plants. And they are very interesting beetles to see, to keep for a while. But I don't know that I would want to keep them for a long time just because they make a lot of mess. Are they iridescent as well, the scavengers? They can have many colors. Actually, they're mostly dark black. Now, there is one species in the southeast that's a very common, Tropisternus aquaticus. It's in every puddle in the summer and uh, even in like parking lots and such. And that has yellow markings on the sides of its body. It's kind of green and yellow. It's a fairly pretty beetle. But mostly, again, I would maybe recommend focusing on the, the diving beetles because even those are also more colorful. There's actually a species... The, probably currently the most commonly kept species of a uh, dytisid. It's called Thermonectus marmoratus. It is a beetle from Arizona, and the common name and the, the name in the pet business is the sunburst diving beetle. It's a black beetle with lots of yellow dots. It's very striking visually. It's like a like a very large black and yellow ladybug swimming underwater. It's really beautiful, and it swims very gracefully. It's a very very happy pet, easy to keep. So sunburst diving beetle. Now that you're talking about colors, that's probably one that I would recommend keeping as well. The one is this sunburst diving beetle and then the big green predaceous beetle. Those are the two that I would probably start with. So can you keep groups of them together or are they... Right. Uh, if, they're, if they're the same species, you absolutely can. The more, the happier. You might even get eggs they sometimes reproduce kind of happily, at least mate and produce eggs. The, the larvae, as I said, are more difficult to actually keep. But, but the, the beetles, the adult beetles are happy together. Now, if there are different species at particularly different sizes, the big ones can eat the little ones sometimes. So let's say if you keep the large green ones together with the sunburst beetles, and if you don't feed them a whole lot, the large green ones eventually eat all the sunburst beetles. That can happen. But if you feed them well, and if you're not worried about uh, one dead beetle here and there eaten, then yeah, they can be kept together. So what would you recommend then in terms of uh, maybe a, what would be a really kind of cool setup for someone that is going to keep beetles? How would right. you set up an aquarium? So they require much less attention than fish, mostly because they don't really care about the water quality. I would actually recommend the less busy your aquarium is, the better for the beetles. I would recommend no bubbles, no filtration, no water movement if you don't have to. Because the beetles, as I said, they're sensing vibrations. They're orienting by vibrations and by smell. For them, stagnant water is best. So no filters, no bubblers, nothing like that. Now, what happens routinely is this. I mean, you feed them protein. You feed them meat and, and earthworms and such uh, occasionally. So that does build up some nutrients in water. The beetles don't care about the quality of the water, but you probably do because sometimes the water gets murky and kind of stinky a little bit. And so what I would, the way I set up these aquariums is a thick layer of gravel on the ground and lots of plants, lots of plants. The more, the better. 
The reasons are two. One, the gravel on the ground eventually builds up bacterial populations that recycle nitrogen and deposit nitrogen. And so your water doesn't get gross and smelly, even if you keep feeding your animals meat. Now, the plants obviously oxygenate water and can outcompete algae and they can keep the water very clean. So something like a, a dense moss or, or simply submerged aquatic vegetation and plus the thick layer of gravel, they keep the water really clean even if you don't have any filter there because your beetles don't have to be fed as much as fish. You know, you feed them again once a week maybe. So that nutrient input is not very big and, and the water and the bacteria easily take care of that, take care of the, the refuse and the beetle poop. They don't poop very much because they don't eat very much. So now, let's say you're not really anywhere near a uh, natural kind of setting where you can get these. Where could you right. find them? Um, there is a company that sells them. They used to be called Hatari. They're out of Arizona. I believe they changed the name somehow. I'm happy to provide the link. So you can order them in a mail and they'll come and you can just drop them in your tank. Very easy. They are easy to ship. These beetles, as I mentioned, are originally, they evolved from uh, ground beetles, and so they breathe atmospheric air. So it's easy to transport them. You just put them in a box with moist tissues or some moss or something like that, peat moss, and they can stay there for a couple of days. It's not a problem. So you can just order them from a company, and they'll send you the, the live ones. But honestly, catching these bugs in the wild is a big part of the joy. It not only lets you understand the environment they live in, which I think is very important for successful breeding and keeping, it also lets you understand the diversity we are talking about. So far, we talked about two species because those are the ones that work best for me. The reality is that there are hundreds of different species out there in puddles and ponds and rivers. They have different colors, different sizes, different ecologies, different preferences. They eat different stuff. It's amazing when you start understanding diversity of insects, even through just this one or two groups. But I understand, you know, you don't always live near natural ponds. The advantage of these bugs is that they fly and they are very good at looking for ponds and, and puddles. And so they appear even in places that, where you might not expect them. In, they often end up in people's pools, in parking lots. They are very frequently collected at big lights in dark nights. So let's say you go to um, a gas station somewhere in the middle of nowhere. There's a good chance that if they have a, some big light on during night, that there is one or two diving beetles flopping around on the concrete because the beetles are flying at night and they're orienting themselves by the moonlight or they can get confused by a regular street light. So they're actually, the, you can catch them sometimes even randomly. Occasionally, you don't even have to really go after them. Now, is there any trick to handling them or can they hurt you or anything like that? Anything that folks need to be aware of? <laughs> the large ones can bite. The larvae can definitely bite. The large ones can bite a little bit. It's nothing you need to be worried about. They can pierce your skin a little bit, but it's not that bad. Now, what they do do is that they smell. They have glands in their thorax that have toxin in it. It's a milky substance that smells really bad and is slightly toxic to fish. This is a, their defense against fish. It doesn't do anything to people. You just, you're just going to smell a little bit if you grab them with your hand, so you just wash it off. But just be aware of, you know, don't eat them <laughs> if you don't have to. <laughs> so maybe that and use a net like you, uh, you were talking about. Net, absolutely. Yeah, net so is yeah. essential, yes. Yeah. All right, well, I think that is a really, really great introduction to aquatic beetles, and I'm definitely going to have to uh, look into this a little bit more. We are unfortunately out of time, but I want to thank... 
our guest, Dr. Yuri Hiltzer, and our producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. Did you have any final words of wisdom, Yuri, for the listeners? Go ahead and keep Beatles. It'll change your life. It'll change your perception of nature. Good luck with that. And anybody can ask me questions. I'm always happy to talk to people about how to do this. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. So please be sure to check out Dr. Holzer's links, which will be on his bio page on Aquarium Mania Pet Life Radio, and we'll include a link to a YouTube diving beetle video. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio for additional pictures and comments. We'll try to have a couple pictures of some of these beetles that we were discussing. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at PetLifeRadio.com. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores, keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy, and for something completely different, try an aquatic beetle tank. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.